0: I wonder if you've ever been somewhere that was so incredible to you that you found it difficult when you were talking to others to capture for them what it was like. I don't know if you've noticed this in the past few weeks here, but there have been Emirates airplanes that have been flying extremely low over this Emirate. Has anyone noticed that? A few of you have. Wonderful. I think maybe they're here for pilot training. I'm not sure but they're flying. And earlier this week, Douglas and I were driving together, and we were watching one of these airplanes. And it was so low and so strange, he looked at me and he said, can you imagine someone coming from the past and just watching this and trying to explain it to someone from the past? It, it struck me how much that would be true of so much of our world today. How would someone from the 1600s come into the 20? what are we, in 2021, and go back to the 1600s and explain to them computers and airplanes and the internet and and cashless transactions and Xbox. I don't really know much about Xbox, but how would they explain all of that to someone from the past? Our world now is so foreign to what they'd ever known and experienced. We're coming to Revelation 21 this morning. And this is so much of what John is doing. Here we are, not at the end of the world. We've seen that in Revelation. We're on the other side of the end of the world. at The very good beginning of another world. This is a world full of reality that is totally foreign to us now, that it's indescribable. We can't fathom it. And yet, this morning in Revelation 21, that's what John does. He describes for us the indescribable. And here's his main point. God will make a new world with indescribable glory. God will make a new world with indescribable glory. He will dwell with his people and be our God. He will dwell with his people and be our God. So three points to see this. God making a new world with indescribable glory, dwelling with his people and being our God. A new world, a new city, a new life. New world, new city, new life. It is my prayer as we walk through this chapter and a little bit of 22 this morning, you will see and grasp the heights of God's plans for us in Jesus Christ. Let's begin by seeing a new world in verses one through eight, a new world. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life, without payment." The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. How does the story of God's world begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the story of the world to come begins in the same way. As I thought about this, I couldn't help but think about tour guides. I have mixed feelings about them. I think sometimes they're wonderful. I think they go off course when they get bogged down into too much of the details of of what you're seeing. They... They, they cause us to miss the big picture because they narrow down into the weeds. Here is John acting as our tour guide. He's describing for us a world we've never seen. He's, he's excellent. He's using symbols to describe reality for us that is honestly indescribable. This is actually more than a new world. This is a new order, a new age. The first heaven and the first earth, it's gone. It's passed away. And the sea was no more. Now, let's be honest, that seems terrible. I know some of you love to fish. You love to go on the sea. But remember, in Revelation, the two beasts came from the sea. The sea represented the place of chaos and, and danger. And it's gone John's point is is the tour guide here is not to tell us so much about what this world looks like. He's trying to describe for us the spiritual realities of this world. And he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. What's it not like? It's not like Babel, that man-made tower where they tried to build up to heaven. Here's a city coming down from heaven. God made this city, prepared her as a bride for her husband. Is the city a place? Is the city a people? Yes, both. It's the church adorned in beauty. It's it's the place breaming with beauty and life where the the church will dwell forever. What characterizes this, this new world? First, new, lasting communion with God in his presence. In verse 3, this new world, God's dwelling place is with man, God with his people, God's people with God, God ruling over us, bound to us. that has been the hope of God's people since the beginning when God's first people were removed from the garden, paradise, We've longed to be back in that place, God's place, with God's people under God's rule, just like Adam and Eve. Here's the fulfillment of God's covenant. We will be his people. He will be our God. This should assure you, once again, God keeps every one of his good promises. Here is communion and fellowship with God unlike anything we've known in this world that is so cursed with sin. No death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. And what a God who will not overlook our tears, who wipe them away. Hasn't this book been filled with visions of terrible realities? Martyrs have died. We watched John weep in chapter five because no one in all of the creation was found worthy to open the scroll and and break its seals. Can you imagine this world and all of its terrible effects gone? The former things have passed away. Here is a world honestly too good to be true. Except it's true. It's coming. God declares it to be so. Verse 5, behold, I am making all things new. And just to ensure that the church in every generation remembers this and knows this, God commands John, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. You see how clearly God simply wants you to take him at his word. Just trust him. He says it there in verse 6, it is done. Is he referring to the new world? Is he referring to all the events he had planned in history? I'd say yes. Yes. All of it, it's true. Our God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He, he reigns over history. He's planned history, every detail, and he has planned for the world when history is over. And it's as good as done. And in this new world, there will be abundant life. In the end of verse 6, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Doesn't this world thirst for life? Doesn't this world look for life in all the wrong places, in all the wrong ways? In this world to come, God is going to give life from the water of life without any payment. We know it in part now. We will know it in perfection then. Who will know this great reward? Verse 7 the one who conquers. The only ones who will conquer are those who've been given this life, this eternal life from God. Revelation makes great promises to the one who conquers. In Revelation, to conquer means to endure by faith in the crucified and the risen Savior. It means you've resisted the seduction of the world, Babylon. You've endured, you've not compromised with false worship and idols. You've stood faithfully in light of the opposition of the beast and the dragon. But in this new world, not everyone will be there. John says, not the cowardly. That's not about being timid or shy, if that's you. The cowardly are those who did not stand against the beast and the dragon. This is spiritual cowardice. These are those who love this world order. They love Babylon. They love Babylon more than the lamb. The faithless, the detestable, murderers, those who oppose God, those who kill human beings, the sexually immoral, those who treated what God has created as good and to be enjoyed within marital boundaries as if none of those boundaries matter at all. Sorcerers relying on magic or other things to control the future, when they should trust God, idolaters, liars, those who worship any God other than the the triune God and, and those who tell lies about God with their mouths and their lives. John is clear again. They will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is what Jesus said the whole world should fear and that he has the authority to bring about to cast both body and soul into hell. What is John describing for us? This is a new world with new realities so different from our existence now. What should you know about this new world? First, you should know the certainty of this new world. It's certain. John saw it. God declared it. It's trustworthy. It's true. I'll be helped to think about the realities of this new world from one Bible teacher's meditation on it. There will be no more cancer, no more multiple sclerosis, no more drones taking lives, no more indescribable loneliness accompanied by weeping No more pain of having one's head sawed off by the enemies of God. And the greatest joy, the greatest reward is the presence of God himself. This world is worth waiting on. It's worth you continuing that fight with sin in your own life. All of us in some way are willing to undergo temporary pain in view of what's coming. You save money now in view of the future. You, maybe you exercise now in view of health in the future. You invest in your education in view of the future. How much more could you forego temporary pleasure in light of this certain world that's coming? It's certain. Second, this means Your own fight with sin will not go on forever. It's going to end. Sometimes it seems like the struggle will never end. But there's a finish line. So often we want to give up. I think God is making clear to us, as C.S. Lewis so wonderfully said, from God's vantage point, it's not that he finds our desires too strong, but too weak. We we think that sin is too strong for God. Our desires are too strong for God. God sees our desires as too weak. God is the greater desire. Your struggle with sin has an end date. Don't give up. Take God at His word, He'll give you everything you need to persevere in your struggle. Third, be warned. As certain as this new world is, so also is this lake that burns. That list there in verse 8 is, it's, it's not describing for us something you might temporarily fall into. It is for those who settle down and live in that. But let me ask you, does the list or any sin there characterize your life? You'll know that. Examine your heart what you enjoy, what you treasure, whether you've trusted Jesus Christ, whether you treasure him or you treasure this world more. We trust God for what he's telling us about this new world. We also must trust God about what he's saying about coming judgment. As much as this world tries to ignore it, it's a reality. It shows us God does not take sin. He does not take human rebellion lightly. How do we know? His only begotten son willingly came into this world to die and to bear the wrath of God for sinners. Be warned. Brothers and sisters, this new world is coming. Live in view of it. Your life, faith in God is not wasted. One day your faith will turn to sight And you will see and enjoy these realities that are indescribable. A new world. Let's see next a new city. Verse 9 to the end of the chapter. A new city. John continues this guided tour. and He he hones in now on this new city. And I want to walk through the rest of this chapter. And I want to stop along the way. Much like a tour guide would. So we understand what this city is. Like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So one of the angels which showed John the bowls of of wrath, is now charged with showing John something far more glorious and beautiful. The bride, the wife of the Lamb. And we see her beauty and especially her glory. John is is carried away in the Spirit. It it means he was receiving uh, prophecy from God. He was seeing a vision. He goes to this high mountain... If you were to read the book of Ezekiel, that prophet, if you were to read the last nine chapters, chapters 40 through 48, he, he sees this renewed temple, and this is exactly what the angel does. He, he takes John to this mountain to show him this temple. He wants John, or John is showing us that what, what I would argue that the angel is showing Ezekiel in those chapters finds its fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth, So, what does John want us to understand about this city? First, he wants us to see the glory of the city. We're going to get no glory for this city. It's not man made. Once again, John says it comes down out of heaven from God. It is saturated with the glory of God. The the only way John knows how to describe it is to say it was like a most rare jewel. What an appropriate way to describe to us glory we've never seen. How different is this new Jerusalem from that old Babylon? My family went to the expo last week for the first time. I think, uh, have you been to the expo? Not many have. Well, let me just tell you about the expo. Once you get past a bit of the frustration of the parking, and we had a especially hard time pulling up our tickets uh, for them, it really does have a whole new world vibe to it. Uh, All these countries are showing off their glory, where they've come from, where they're going. Uh, The glory of the UAE, the nations are being put on display at the expo. But none of us, I hope, none of us would describe the expo with the language that John is using here. The glory of this city, its weightiness will be unlike anything we've ever known. Notice also the city is protected. It's protected. Look at verse 12. There's a great wall, 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates. It's a fortress. It's a place where truth and all that is good and right is protected. It's safe. Who guards the gates? The 12 angels. You remember who guarded access to the tree of life after the man and the woman were put out, the cherubim? If they could guard access to that Tree of life. These 12 angels can guard this city, these gates. Physical and spiritual enemies will not be able to get through these walls. Truth is protected. Truth is guarded. There won't be any lies. There won't be any idols. What else is the city like? It's unified. It's complete. In the verse 12, we see the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on the gates. And in 14, the 12 foundations of the wall have the 12 names of the apostles. It is made up of the people of God across history. Old and new covenants, all united in Jesus Christ the Lamb. All there because of the work of Christ on the cross. And the apostolic foundation upon which the church of Jesus Christ is built. This is God's united people across history, protected, transformed to glory, experiencing glory in an otherworldly city, something of which we know nothing of yet. The tour continues. Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, it's length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, Six, carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh decenth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I mean, even if you don't know exactly what John is saying, you know he's not simply trying to tell us exact measurements of walls and where the gates and the streets are and what they're made of. He's using here what his readers would have understood, mostly the Old Testament, to communicate to them something profound about what this city is like. This one who spoke to him had a measuring rod of gold. That's way better than the measuring rod of reed that the prophet Ezekiel's tour guide had of that temple. The city being measured means that it's protected. Its boundaries are known by God, planned by God. I think John... Vision wants us to get a sense of the holiness of the city. It's separated from this world. It's consecrated to God. And how does he do this? Well, he tells us its measurements. Look at verse 16. It's a perfect square. Its length, the same as its width, 12,000 stadia. It's like 2,220 kilometers. I had to look that up. But that's bigger than the entire nation of Israel. Is, the bigger point is the length, the width, height, they're all equal. It's 1,000 multiples of 12. The wall, verse 17, is 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. They're, they're the same. Do any of you know what an angel's measurement is? I have no idea either. That's why I think he's clearly using symbolic language. It's all symbols of 12, multiples of 12. This is a a perfect cube, just as the holy of holies was a perfect cube. What is this city like? It's holy. And not just one part of it. All of it is holy. It's perfect. The city is pure gold. It's like clear glass. Don't read right over that we take clear glass for granted. I mean, we look out of almost clear glass, but pretty clear glass every Friday when we're sitting here. In the ancient world, they didn't have this technology. Clear glass was rare. They really did see through glass darkly, glass blurred. The wall of gold in verse 18, like clear glass, gives us a sense of the perfection as does the foundations of the wall adorned with every kind of jewel. Those jewels aren't random. They were the jewels with the names of the Israelite tribes that would have been engraved on the breastplate of the high priest. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. And verse 21, it's not just the wall that's pure gold and clear as glass, the street of this city is as well. John is just screaming at us that we might know the holiness and the perfection of this world. Its exactness is marked off by God. It comes down from heaven by the power of God. Not one detail is unattended to. Not one of God's people will be missing. It's holy, it's perfect. And as God's people in Christ, when we're there, have we'll will have been made perfect. And the entire city, not just one place, will be indwelled by our holy and perfect God. Oh, John means for us to see, because God means for us to see how precious we are to God in Christ, how protected we are and will be in that city that's coming. But it's not for John, enough for John to tell us what is there John wants to tell us what's not there. And it's striking. Look at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. John just told us the city is a perfect cube. The whole thing is a temple. That's why there's no temple there. The temple is God and the Lamb. We see that God and Christ share in the same essence. In the old age, God's presence particularly dwelled in the temple. His presence was particularly manifest in the Holy of Holies, limited access to the high priest. In the new covenant, God's presence particularly dwells by the Spirit in His people, the church, but in this city, the entire. Space is sacred space. It's all filled with the presence and holiness of God. There's also no sun there. There's no moon. There's no need. God's glory and the Lamb give its light. You're to read the prophet Isaiah when he takes God's people forward to this beautiful new world that's coming. He says this of that new world in Isaiah 60. The sun shall no more be your light by day, nor brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. And in that same chapter, he prophesied nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. What is John saying? This is that world, this is that city. There, the the light of God illuminates the nations. They no longer walk in darkness. Kings will not try to hoard glory. It's so renewed, they're bringing glory to the true king of the world. And incredibly, in this world, there will be no gates that are shut. Verse 25. These gates aren't open because everyone is welcome, they don't have to be shut. Because there's no enemies. So in this city, there's high walls and there's open gates. Is John contradicting himself? Absolutely not. This is a clear presentation of how spiritually and physically protected we will be. He also again emphasizes the night, the darkness. When enemies attack, when there's often danger, it's, it's gone. And what does John tell us again? He says, nothing unclean. No one who is detestable or false will enter. Friends, the whole Bible makes very clear to us that God's presence outside of Jesus Christ is terrifying. It's terrifying. By nature, we are sinners. We're unclean. We, we can't stand in the presence of God. It's too much for us. And there's no amount of good deeds or even a contrite spirit that will make us clean enough to come to God. God's weightiness of glory is too much. We cannot produce a righteousness that will make us right before God, and so we need a righteousness that is not our own. And this is what God has done in Jesus Christ, the Lamb. God's Son has come into the world... He has lived for sinners, he has died for sinners, and he's been raised and ascended to heaven for sinners. He took the shame that we deserve, the wrath that we deserve. He took our guilt on himself, and he bore it for sinners on the cross. And he was raised that in him we might become righteousness. Friend, just as we just sang together, the lamb will be all the glory In Emmanuel's Lamb. We need righteousness to be in that city. And the Lamb has one righteousness for everyone who would ever repent of their sin and trust in Him. Come to Him. Come to Him. He will receive you and He will present you blameless on the last day before the Father. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray you will receive it. How good, brothers and sisters, must our God be to plan this city, to prepare this city, and then to work throughout history and then after history to give us this city? I wonder if you come this morning, Christian, and you need your sight of God adjusted. You need to see again how good He is. Look at His plans for us in Christ. He gives us this vision so that we will endure to show us that he will not underwhelm. When you are tempted to settle for this world or for cheap sin, think about this city and its glory. Maybe you've known loss in your life. Raise your gaze to this city, to our God who will dwell there. I wonder if you come with a heart that thinks hard thoughts of God and his love for you. Do you see how this has to change you? When you realize he's preparing something this indescribably beautiful and glorious, it should raise your heart to see his love. Surely it puts to death every lie that you believe about God's stinginess. Every cost, every sacrifice, every hope you've laid up in this city will be worth it. Anchor your joy in this life way out there in that city. And you'll be steady in every trial and every storm that comes along the way. I promise you, the very first day in that city will make every single day in this life of suffering and frustration and struggle pale in comparison. What about in your devotional life or your prayer life? Are you knowing frustration? Are you distracted? Do you struggle to find the light? Look at who this God is. There's a day coming when there'll be no, un, no hindrance to your fellowship with God. Let that propel your heart forward as you go to him in his word and in, and in prayer as you see his love for you and how it changes your desires for him. And look at the, worthless, the worth of Christ. The lamb qualifies us to be in this city. It feels like we live in a nation where there's always a new development project. Always one on the horizon. And, and, and as soon as, uh, as one is put up, another one starts, but eventually the one that we were all so enamored with eventually becomes old. And we look at the next big project. This city that's coming will have glory that never gets old. None of it will fade, and none of it will distract us from the glory of the Lamb on the throne. The Lamb will be the glory the center of our attention and worship. The glories of this world will fade. The glory of the Lamb will never fade. He has won our access to this city. Brothers and sisters, we together as a church want to give a glimpse of this city through our life together. We hold out this city to each other. We help each other toward this city. We hold out this city and the city's king to the world And we call the world to get a sense to come to the king of this city. Our triune God is building a city with foundations, with glory that will never fade. Live in view of it. Let's live together in light of it. A new city. Finally and briefly, a new life. A new life. Look at chapter 2, the first five verses. Then... and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What a tour. Isn't this glorious? At the end of this portion, John goes all the way back to the beginning. This is Eden before the fall. This is very end of the prophet Ezekiel's vision of the temple. Here's a river. It's filled with the water of life. It's flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street. The city is filled with life as we've never known it. New life. Eternal life. The tree of life there in verse 2 on either side of this river. We haven't had access to that tree since... Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. It's accessible. It, it produces fruit each month. It's abundant. Leaves heal the nation. There's complete restoration. There's no conflict. And notice what else the new life consists of. Perfect and perfected worship. Verses three and four. There's nothing accursed. That age is over. How do we know? God's throne is there. And we will worship God. And what's more, we will see his face. We cannot see his face now. His glory would crush us. God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock when he passed him by with his glory. But then we'll be perfect and transformed to an altogether different glory. And we'll be able to see the face of God and actually live. That's our great hope, to see his face and for him to see ours. And to cherish us and to love us when he sees us. His name on our foreheads, he will own us. We will be his. We get a sense of the coming glory. No more night, no more lamp, no more sun. The Lord is the light. In this age when God's people have been so wickedly reigned over again and again and again, we will reign. God's people will reign forever. What's the point? We're going to be royalty with Christ going to raise us to a status and a glory we were created to be, but we fell from new life and new realities. Do you see how committed our God is to us, where he's taking us? Todd Billings writes, Christians are not adopted into a low-commitment relationship with a conveniently distant God. To the contrary, the gospel does not so much offer a low-cost eternal life insurance, it gives us the tremendous privilege of learning to be children of the king, living into our new identity in a kingdom that is coming forth to us from the future. Live as if you're bound to this king and as if you will inherit this kingdom because you will in Christ. As we close, ask yourself what you're looking to from this world that it can't give you. How do you think this world can give you what only God can? Why do you look to relationships or, or websites or praise from men or achievements when you know well the pain of disappointment when they don't deliver? Look at this life that's coming. It's perfect. Worship and life. You know it in part now. If you're in Christ, then you will know it in full. So every time you say no to sin, you are trusting God for better pleasures, for what He alone can give, and you are honoring God as you wait on Him for the joy that He alone supplies. I think for me, one of the hardest days in life is that day at the very end of a really good visit with my family, or the very last day of an incredible vacation. You'd anticipated it for so long, and it's over. And now you're going back to normal, ordinary, sometimes hard life, and you want more. Have you ever known that feeling? You resonate with that? When this new life and this new world comes, that longing will never be ours again. We will see his face. He will see ours, and there will be no shame. There will be no sin, no guilt. We will reign and there will never be a threat of any danger or that life coming to an end. There really is a day coming and God means for us to know it when there will no longer be wars. There will no longer be refugees. There will no longer be broken homes and and broken hearts. Sin and all of its effects will be gone forever. What Our hearts long for what the world is constantly trying to give us but can't. God will. So next week, remember this guided tour of this city. For now, we know in part. Then we will know in full And every sacrifice you've made, every sorrow, every suffering you've endured, every sin that you've denied, all of it, when we come there, will be worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we are astonished at the heights of your plans for us in Christ as we look at this new world and city and life to come. We pray that we would receive your word by faith. We pray we would persevere in view of this coming city. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.